I make a point and I do it for myself, I don't expect anybody else to do it because I can only take responsibility for what I do. And so I make a point that I'll never leave the house without saying goodbye and kissing my three girls. And then when I come back upstairs, I'll make a point of connecting with each one of them. Just very briefly, hello, babe, how are you? And that. And then at some stage during the evening, I'll make a point of connecting with them in a much deeper level. You were hearing there from our guest on Focus on the Family today, Dr. Steve Bass, speaking about ways in which you can offer connection moments to your spouse and your kids as a way of keeping in touch and making sure that the communication lines are open in your relationship. Steve has more insightful advice to share with us today, which will hopefully inspire you to be intentional in your dealings with your spouse. You're listening to Focus on the Family with Graham Schnell, and I'm Alison Schnell. You know, I would say that we have a pretty good marriage. In fact, I would even say that we have a great marriage. Yes. Most of the time. <laughs> it's because you're such a good wife. Oh, yes. And we've had the incredible benefit of being surrounded by such excellent content on marriage because of our involvement with Focus. And we're constantly reminded to be intentional in our marriage. And yet, even still, we get it wrong sometimes. But we've seen how just applying the principles works. When we invest in our marriage, we reap the benefit of a relationship that brings joy and security and companionship. And it's good. It's amazing. It is amazing. And you're right. We've experienced the positive impact of intentionality in our marriage. And we've also woken up to the harsh reality of a mediocre marriage when our intentional efforts have waned. Hmm. Well, here to talk to us and remind us again about how to have not just a good marriage, not even a great marriage, but a radical marriage, is Dr. Steve Bass. Steve has been with us on the program before. He's a counselor with a practice and ministry called Repairer Counseling, based in the East London area. He's also a husband and a father, and he's the author of a number of books, including Radical Marriage. Welcome back to Focus on the Family, Steve. Uh, It's awesome to be back, man. Yeah, Great. Steve, in your book, you talk about the experience of a counseling session where you ask your clients, do they want to have a good marriage? And they say yes. And then you say, no, that's not what you want. And there's kind of confusion in their face. And then you go on to say, you don't just want a good marriage. You want a great marriage. Yes. You want a radical marriage. Yes. What is the main difference between a good marriage and a great or radical marriage? Yeah. It's one of my favorite things to talk about because you often see, like you said, you get people who, whenever I do talks, I'll ask that question and you'll see the confusion on people's face because everybody says, yes, of course, they want to have a good marriage. And when you say, no, you don't, they're taken aback because they think, well, you know, what are you talking about? And when you say, no, you don't want a good marriage, you want a great marriage, what's the difference? And I go on to explain the difference between a good and a great. So if you think about anybody who's good at what they do compared to someone who's great, so take an athlete compared to an Olympic athlete. He's good at what he does, but an Olympic athlete's great at what they do. So what is the difference? The main difference is if you want to be great at anything, you have to do things that nobody else does. Mm. A person who's good at what they do will look at the weather and say, ah, it's a bit rainy, I'm not going to train. (laughs) An Olympic athlete will train no matter what. So if you want to be great at what you do, you've got to show up no matter what, no matter how you feel, no matter what the circumstances, you always have to be engaged. And so the difference is is that you've got to be putting the effort in to make sure that your marriage doesn't stay. Because if you want a good marriage, you'll be like everybody else. Because most people have got good marriages. But what if there's just one or two things that you can do on a daily basis? Because the other thing is that what we don't realize is that 
if you're wanting to be great at something, there's stuff that you have to do every day, every week, every month, every year in order to maintain that. And so often what you see in marriages is that people, they'll start off with that. And then as it goes on and they've been married for any significant time, unfortunately, I've seen that even it's started to get less now. But, you know, when people marry 10, 20 years, it starts to dwindle a little bit. And like Alison was sharing that, for whatever reason, you get distracted and then intentionality starts to wane. And then you start moving back from the great part into the good part. And then, unfortunately, some people move part that into the bad part. Mm. Um, and that's the sad part yeah. of that. And Steve, describe your own journey. What were your expectations about marriage and what it would be like? And, and were those expectations met? Uh, our first two years of marriage were really tough for Mandy. I think uh, most of the problems, uh, and even now, actually, um, been married 20 years, I think most of our problems actually stem from me and my bad attitude. And uh, my wife is a very easy person to get on with. She's never, and I, I know people like I think I'm lying and making up stories, but she's never in a bad mood or she's not critical and moaning and uh, constantly, you know, fighting about stuff. She's a very easy person to get on with, a very easy person to talk to. And so... For her, it was very difficult because I was so disconnected. Mm. Coming from the family that, if you listen to the Radical Dads, you, you know my family background. But coming into marriage, the first year, I mean, I'd come home from work. She'd have waited for me, cooked supper. I'd take my supper and go into my study and read, you know, and just not even engage with her and stuff like that. And I see you. <laughs> Alison's. Uh, I am shocked. <laughs> and uh, so for the first two years, uh, you know, uh, even recently, I just said to Mania how much I, I really appreciate her uh, because a lot of where I am today is because of her, because of her prayers, because of her, her constant encouragement, support and everything. Was she patient with you? So patient. Time. And someone said, prayed over me once and they said to me that Mandy's like my grace giver. And she has done a lot to get me to the place where, where I am today. And she said to me the one time, because I was talking to her about those days and, and how difficult it was and stuff. And, and she said, no, you know, it's over and yeah. so great that you've changed and moved on and you've grown so much. And I said, well, when did that happen? And she said to me, for her, she used to pray for me a lot. And then she said, the Lord said to her the one day, stop praying that Steve will change pray that you will change how you respond to him and she said when she started praying that that's when I started to change and I started to become a totally different person and that was almost at the time where I started going through my radical freedom journey which I spoke about and started to heal on that road mm -hmm. and that was really a lot to do with her sure. yeah so my journey has been one I would say of difficulty but mostly because of stuff past that I've experienced and difficult for her because of the, like I've said before, hurt people hurt people. And so because I was hurt, I would in turn hurt her. Mm. But she often, especially in the early days, would respond with so much grace, sure. so much forgiveness. And so that I think it's almost in God's kingdom, it's almost impossible not to change with that stuff going on. You know? Did you notice a change when she speaks about the fact she changed her prayer to be how can she respond differently to you? Do you remember noticing a change in her? It sounds like she was gracious from the start. You know, in those days, I was so disconnected. And I think that even now, sometimes I can be, but not nearly as bad. Uh, thank the Lord and Mandy for that. <laughs> but 
Yeah, I don't even know if I could even say that I noticed anything like that. I just noticed that something in me was different. I think a light went on and I realized that the way I was doing parenting, the way that I was doing marriage, the way I was doing relationship, the way I was doing my Christian life, it wasn't working for me, you know, and And I had to change. And it came from your journey, as you said, of getting yourself right, getting yourself whole. Yes. And we often talk about marriage being ideal when it's two whole people that can come together yes. uh, and when yes. it's two broken people or even yes. one broken person yes. and a whole person makes it difficult yes. and not whole is quite a difficult thing to explain because none of us are completely no. whole yes. but we you know we come in with baggage but when there's so yes. much baggage yes. it's difficult yes. to make that relationship work yes it is and i think that's why i encourage people to try and deal with as much of their baggage as possible so what i even do in, in my marriage counseling is either if it's premarital or even just marital counseling I will try and separate sessions and have individual sessions with the couple one-on-one and help them deal with anything that they've got from their past before their marriage because you'll have unmet needs, healed hurts, and unresolved issues before you're married and then you'll create those unmet needs, unhealed hurts, and unresolved issues in your marriage. Mm-hmm. And so what you want to do is if there's unhealed hurts, heal them. If there's unmet needs, meet them. If there's unresolved issues, resolve them. And so work on doing that. Mm-hmm. In your book, you talk about some of the things that we should be doing and some of the things that we need to stop doing. So just starting with the things that we need to be doing or to start doing if we're not doing them already, what are those? What are some of those things we really need to start? I call it start, stop, and maintain. So start doing things that you're not doing. Stop doing things that you are that are detrimental and maintain the healthy things because there's always healthy stuff that you are doing. But start doing so. There are four main things. And the first one is that there needs to be verbal contacts. At least, they say, at least four verbal contacts between the two of you in the day. And by verbal contacts, I mean it's not a long conversation because, remember, it's for connection, not information. Information is, you know, pick the kids up, feed the dogs, buy the milk and bread. That's information. You still do that. But so often what we do is we don't say, how's your day going? How's it, babe? I hope you're having a nice day. Or send a WhatsApp. Now, I can't phone Mandy because she's a school teacher. She can't answer her phone. So I often just send her WhatsApps or a message or just a smiley face or a kiss. I hope you're having a great day. And so she doesn't always respond to me because she doesn't always have time. And I'm okay with that. So you have to work out as a couple, what is that thing that's going to keep you connected during the day? Because often what we, we don't do that. And then we expect it all to just happen at some time at the end of the day and sometimes that doesn't even happen even for whatever reason uh, there are things that stop that little children busyness and all that and so make sure that you're having those contacts be attentive to each other they call it responding to your spouse's bid for attention. So when your spouse says to you, I'm having a, a meeting tomorrow with a client, that's a bid for attention. So remember that. So tomorrow when I'm praying for you, I'm thinking of you, I hope the client meeting goes well. And after that, I hope your meeting went well and we'll chat sure. to you later. So there's that constant connection. That's the first one. The second one, there needs to be at least six non-sexual touches a day. So non-sexual touches, holding hands, a kiss hello, a kiss goodbye. So I make a point, and I do it for myself. I don't expect anybody else to do it because I can only take responsibility for what I do. And so I make a point that I'll never leave the house without saying goodbye and kissing my three girls. And then when I come back upstairs, I'll make a point of connecting with each one of them. Just very briefly, hello, babe, how are you, and that. And then at some stage during the evening, I'll make a point of connecting with them at a much deeper level and sit down with them each and just spend a few minutes just chatting how was your day was there anything significant that happened tell me about it or whatever and then so the non-sexual touches or the kisses the touches the hugs and remember with the hug whatever you do with the hug 
just keep it about two or three seconds longer because the longer you can have skin-to-skin contact, it creates those endorphins and those feel-good hormones that come in. And if you think about your relationship, when you hug someone, you can't hold resentment very long with that person. And so hugging, touching, holding hands and so on. And then the third one, date nights. And, you know, we often think, oh, yeah, that's an obvious one. But there's so many people that don't have date nights. And Amanda and I don't go on date nights uh, very often. But when we do, because we connect a lot during the day and all that. So, um, But when we do, it's an awesome time together. And I'm planning one on this Saturday when I get back. Just the two of you where you sit down and chat. And generally, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. So it doesn't mean that you've got to go out for a meal and all that kind of stuff. But it must be face-to-face contact. So go for a walk on the beach or go for, you know, do something. So find something that, and preferably out of the house. And then the final one on that score is to go away for a weekend once a year. If you're able to go away for a weekend, maybe if it's just a night, maybe. And I then think that's Alison fine. is saying amen to that. I am. I'm saying amen and amen. Once a year, <laughs> let's make it more. Yes, no, you can. If, and, and they say, in fact, if you can make it more than that, do that. Obviously, the, the more you are able to do that, the better. Um, and if you can, that's, that's a wonderful thing. So those are the four things because remember that trust is the foundation and trust is built up through little things that you're doing every day mm. and trust is broken down by the little things that you don't do every day it's not the big things that build trust or break trust it's those little things that we're doing the things that I, when I listen when I pay attention to my spouse when I look her in the eyes when she's talking or respond to her her bid for attention it's called sliding door moments when there's a, an opportunity to either turn towards turn away or ignore so when I'm doing that and I turn towards her when she speaks to me and I respond in a way that creates connection. Those are the things that slow build up trust. And then I eventually have a huge reserve of trust. But if I'm not doing those things, eventually my trust then ends up mm. in the negative and then problems start to happen. There's a bit of research that we've quoted before. A lady at research, I think she followed about 300 couples, I think it was, over about 20 years. Sure. And then she looked at those marriages that were deeply satisfying. So not just the marriages that were still together or okay. Uh, And one of the key findings that she had was this daily connection time. Mm. Um, And and as you said, not just the information, not just did you pick up that and did you buy that from the shops, really actually heart-to-heart connection. And that's what you're talking about, along with the physical touch uh, and then the date nights, which may uh, may not be every every day certainly or even every week but as regular as you possibly can yes what are the things we need to stop so if we've got down those four things to start what are some of the things we need to stop doing then in our marriages one of the things is the constant criticism so uh, there's nothing wrong with bringing up something that you you are concerned about but if you bring up a criticism then tag a request onto that so, you know, you might say something like, uh, you're so inconsiderate because you're always late and you, you never even tell me that you're going to be late. That's a criticism. But if you say, I really worry about you when you come home late and you don't let me know, is it possible to just send me a WhatsApp if you're going to be late? So you mention the criticism, but you tag on a request. And if you're able to do that and remember the significant self-esteem and security, keep those three S's in mind. How am I going to say this to my spouse that keeps her their significant self-esteem and security intact? And so criticism is a negative one that we need to stop. And then uh, stonewalling. So stonewalling is when my partner wants to talk to me 
and I stonewall that. I don't want to talk. I turn away from them or I ignore that. Okay, we'll talk later. Or, uh, But you also do that. So Mandy will say, you know, you speak very harshly to me sometimes. Oh, yeah, but you do too. <laughs> so instead of listening and responding and taking that sliding door moment and turning towards you and saying, I'm really sorry that I did that. Please forgive me. I don't want to be like that. Many years ago, I said to her, I want to change in the way, because I, I used to be very short and, just, you know, rude sometimes to her and so I said I don't want to be like that so I want you to point it out to me you know so when I am speaking to you like that then show me and she did and I moaned it to her (laughs) so So this wasn't necessarily in conflict was it just no no it was was just just, uh, yes I think we'd been somewhere and stuff and I was just irritated and she said something and I snapped at her and she said to me, Steve, you, and I said, oh, well, well, you know, and I just went off. And, and so she withdrew. And I didn't really mean it when I said point it out. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Why do you take things so seriously? And then uh, she came back to me later and, and she said, and I said to her, look, I'm really sorry, but I do want you to do that. Yeah. And I'm sorry I responded like that, but don't let that be the thing that stops you. I'm sorry I hurt you and I'm sorry, much, but I want to be held accountable. And the thing for me, too, is to say I need to make Mandy the best mother, the best teacher, and the best um, wife that she can be. And her role is to make me the best father, the best husband, and the best counselor. And so if I focus just on that and not worry about what she's not doing and why isn't she doing this, and if she did that, then I will do this. But if I focus on, okay, God wants me to make sure that she, how can I help her? How can I help her in a role as mom? How can I help her role as wife? How can I help her role as teacher? How, what can I do to help her? It's going to change significantly what I do because the Bible says think about the other person's interest before my own. So when I start to do that, it changes the way my relationship starts to go because I think about those things. So I don't stonewall. I try and respond. And then being abusive and abrasive, you know, uh, saying bad words and calling each other names and stuff. And I remember one couple, uh, when I went through the list, because I've got a list in the in the marriage thing, I call them blatant slams, so things that you don't say to each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, rolling your eyes, you know, rolling your eyes, or any dismissive gestures. So if you, you're like shaking your hand at them, say, oh, come on, just finish what you're saying or whatever. Those are all kind of dismissive things. So what you're saying is not important to me. And so when we got to the name calling, the husband looked at her and said, you know, you don't call me names. She said, only in my head. So I said, okay, that's also not acceptable. So I've added that to my little list now. So when I say to people, you don't call each other names, even in your head, you're not supposed to call each other names. So those kind of things, I think you need to make sure. And then obviously physical, uh, anything physically, uh, physical violence or anything, that is a definite no-no. Mm-hmm. That should never be happening. If that is happening, you need to get help as soon as possible and get out of that kind of situation. So those are, are kind of the main the main ones that you, you can look you at. You mentioned the significant self-esteem and security. And I think you've almost said anything that would break down those emotions or those human needs mm. in your spouse mm. are things you need to stop doing. Mm. So whether mm. that is the criticism, whether that is the abusive language, whatever those actions that you have that might affect yes. even just their self-esteem, those are things we need to stop. Yes, You spoke a little bit about learning to be selfless. And I think God, uh, he's got a sense of humor. Uh, And when he created marriage, he created marriage in a way to represent his own nature, this Mm. incredible thing of 
husband and wife that represent in their relationship something of God and the Trinity. And it's a beautiful thing. But at the same time, he made it not necessarily easy for us because Mm. our spouses are different. Mm. And he calls us to be selfless. He calls Mm. us to lay down our, our own needs and our own desires and our own wants and what we want out of it so that we can say, how can I put your interests above my own? In your practice, how do you counsel couples to put that into practice? How do you counsel people to say, you need to look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others? I think one of the hardest things for me in counseling in marriages is the men. The men are the hardest. And that's what I think um, God said to the men, love your wives, because it doesn't come naturally to us. For women, it does. They just naturally love and serve and help and nurture and, and, and want to. And, and I often say to men, if you understand the three things that precede sex, sex is, and I think this comes from Gary Smalley, yeah? uh, he says, the sex is right number four. Yeah. But if you, for women, you have to have those three first. It's honor. Leads to security, leads to intimacy, leads to sex. And so what we have to do as men is there are two ways that a woman will get her prayers unanswered. And that's unforgiveness or sin. For a man, there's three ways, unforgiveness and sin, but honor. Mm. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, honor your wives, lest your prayers go unanswered. And so we have to honor our wives Mm. and make sure that we are putting them first. And so I try and explain to men, and I often try and take them one-on-one because sometimes they they get a little bit... um, maybe uh, threatened or whatever if their wife is there and I'm talking quite straight to them and how they need to change their attitude and then the wife is like, you know, kind of like grinning there because I'm nailing her husband kind of like (laughs) quite harshly. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll kind of just say, okay, uh, you know, we'll do a one-on-one session and I'll talk straight to them. Mm -hmm. You know, in the beginning of my practice, I used to kind of like um, take it easy and stuff and, and for probably for the past two years now, uh, I've kind of had a, a little bit of shift in my thinking because I think marriage is such an important thing and marriages are so under attack and threat yeah. that I've decided I don't have time to play around. And so I'm going to be gentle and, and loving and kind, but I'm going to be straight to the point. If you're yeah. doing it wrong, I'm going to try and help you and I'm going to tell you, listen, that's a bad attitude. That's Biblically, that's wrong. You shouldn't be thinking. You shouldn't speak to you. To call yourself a Christian and you treat each other like that's ungodly. And so I try, and especially with men, I'll take them and just spend time with them on their own and say to them, okay, listen, man, you know, this is what we need. We need to honor our wives. And I can tell you now, if you honor your wife, and treat her like she's the most important person, she'll naturally respond to you because that's how women are created. I have to learn to love, and I've got to ask the Lord to help me to be like that. And so I try and help and coach men to be more like that. Steve, we'll often hear from people who call in or write to us, and they're at the end of their rope. They're in this desperate place in their marriage. And what would you say to encourage that husband or that wife that's feeling that way? I think the first thing is find someone that you can talk to, either as an individual or as a couple, preferably as a couple. But if one of the partners don't want to go for counseling, then do it on your own to try and get help. Let them you know, give you skills to help you cope with a partner who may be distant or you know, not engaged with you at the moment, not willing to like, really talk. But what I've found over the years is that when sometimes men will come and they're quite resistant to coming, but once they see and they hear and, and I talk to them and they, they meet me, they suddenly all that resistance not there anymore, and I'm able to talk to them on a really straight level. I mean, I had one guy come and said he's not interested, he doesn't want to come for counseling. Mm-hmm. And then he started talking about you know what he thought the problem was 
obviously blaming his wife for everything. <laughs> and he said he's a straight shooter. He just calls things as they are. So when he finished, I said to him, are you finished? He said, yes. And I said to him, okay, well, let me just tell you how I work. And I said, I'm also a straight shooter. And I, I'm going to tell you if you are, and I used a negative word, which I won't use on radio. <laughs> but I said to him, if you're behaving like that, I'm going to tell you you're behaving like that. And we're going to talk. And from that time, just my straight talk with him, like I just switched him around. And he was one of my most committed guys. Even if his wife wasn't coming, he'd come and he'd want to do the homework and he'd do the homework before the wife. And, and even years later when I saw, they were still happily married and you know, they had the issues and stuff. But sometimes it just takes something like that where you can just talk straight and just you know help yeah. them to kind of realize that they need to change something. Dr. Steve Bass author of the book Radical Marriage. Uh, thanks for being with us again on Focus yeah. on the Family and for sharing vulnerably, uh, but also bringing some really important principles to this incredible institution of marriage. Thank you so yeah. much, Steve. You've been really insightful, and I've so enjoyed listening to you. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you very much. It's been great to be with you. What I loved about this program was Steve's practical advice for couples to improve their marriages. I think that sometimes couples can feel stuck and it's difficult to know where to begin making things better. But Steve has offered so many tips and challenges for us, which are simple, and yet they'll go a long way towards the radical marriage we all want. As mentioned on the program, Steve has authored a book called Radical Marriage, where he outlines ways in which you can take your marriage to another level of good you can have a radical marriage. You'll find it online at safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300. And if you're feeling like a radical marriage seems unattainable, maybe you're really hurting in your marriage, we want to connect you with one of our caring Christian counselors. It can be an email or a phone call or maybe a prayer request or to have someone pray with you. Or maybe you'd like to set up a counseling session online or in person. You can do all of that through our website at safamily.co.za or you can call us on 031-716-3300. I just want to make sure you know we're here. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.